Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. In the early pages of Joshua, God's people were finally about to receive His blessing. A blessing that God had promised them generations ago. People had prayed for God's blessing, and it just wasn't seeming to happen. More than, a, more than a number of them began to wonder, is this ever going to happen? Are we ever going to get what God promised to give us? But now, more than ever, they needed to be strong and courageous. They needed a faith that steps up when the time was right. Today, I want to remind you that the need that we all have as God's people is to keep on trusting God. I mean... Don't Stop Believing is not just an 80s anthem by Journey, you know? It's, it's a legitimate theological encouragement. You see it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Now, before you settle in too much, I know it's kind of cold out, you got in here, you got a little warm, you sat down, let's have a little audience participation, read this verse with me, just to drill it in and countersink it a bit, okay? Here we go. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what He's promised. And again, don't, don't pass over the idea of persevere. I know, that's, that's the ugly part of walking with Christ. That's the ugly part of believing in God, is that it's not just instantaneous. The idea of persevering is something that is just not, it's just not something we're good at in our culture anymore. We want it done, we want it done now. Hello, Amazon. But God promises if we don't give up, if we keep on trusting Him, we can count on Him to be faithful. He promises that our obedience to Him will be worthwhile, but we have to keep on trusting Him. God told Joshua from the very beginning what it would take to receive His blessings. Joshua, you've got to be strong and courageous. Sometimes it takes strength and courage to not quit. He encouraged him by Rahab's example that we talked about last week, that he's at work whether we see him or not. And when faith steps up, like it did in an unlikely character named Rahab, even though it was unknown to us, God's work was still being done. But God's just getting started. Watch what happens next, starting in Joshua 6. It's, it's a familiar passage to you know, even the youngest that are probably back in Shaley's uh, you know, class with the kids now. At some point in time, you're going to hear about the walls of Jericho. And that's what happens now. Joshua and God's people decide to act in faith. They decide to trust God. They decide to, to, to show strength and courage and to step up. And so trusting God, they cross over the Jordan River. And that's when the same thing happens to them that happens in our life. Just when you make up your mind, just when you make a commitment to trust God, 
you hit a wall. Only this time for them, it literally was the wall, the wall of Jericho. In Joshua 6, it says the gates of Jericho were bolted and barred shut because the people there were afraid of the Israelites. No one could enter or leave. You could describe that as a lockdown. They locked down the city. Well, here's an image of Jericho. How are you supposed to defeat this? Now, don't, don't try to read the text up in the corner. That's irrelevant to the point. I just wanted you to see what archaeology has discovered about the construction of the city. It was surrounded by a ditch. You know, think moat without water. It was surrounded by a ditch, and then there was a slanted outer wall that was about 25 feet tall, and then another slanted inner wall, and that was about 15 feet tall. So in all total, it was about 20, or excuse me, it was about 40 feet high. So Joshua and the people come up to this, and as they're marching toward it, you know their eyes have just got to be bugging out of their head thinking, what in the world? Where's air support? Why don't we blow this thing up? But they didn't have that. Well, they did. It was called God. But it didn't happen like they expected. You can imagine Joshua's surprise when God tells him this in verse 2 of Isaiah, or excuse me, Joshua 6. The Lord said to Joshua, Jericho and its king and all of its mighty warriors are already defeated. Look at that. Now again, my fault. I messed up. I wrote Isaiah 6-2. It's Joshua 6-2. But he said, they're already defeated. And then God says the most amazing thing to Joshua, I've already given them to you. Has that ever happened to you? Where when what God says doesn't match up with what you see in front of you? You see, like with Joshua, and like in our own experience, sometimes all we see is a wall. But God sees a way through it. And that's the challenge for us, isn't it? God speaks to Joshua in the past tense as if it's something that's already happened. But Joshua's staring at this 40-foot high wall with multiple layers to it and multiple moats and, and slants. I mean, there, it's a killing field waiting to happen for anybody that tries to go up and, and climb that wall. But because God's eternal... Catch this, okay? If, if you've kind of tuned out for a bit, tune back in on this. Because God's eternal, He can speak in the present about something in the future as if it were in the past. God calls us to walk by faith. But God walks by sight. So when God looks at the wall, when God looks at Joshua and his people and the blessing that he's about to give them in the promised land, he doesn't walk by faith. God walks by sight. He can see how this is all going to work out. So it's no big deal for him to say, I've already given it to you. 
not because he's got so much faith in Joshua, as much as he knows what's, what's going to happen. He knows how it's going to turn out. And in our life, God walks by sight and calls us to walk by faith. When all we see is a wall, God sees a way through it. But why doesn't he just do it then? Why doesn't he just evaporate it? Why did he just make it go away? He could have done the same thing to the wall that he did to the Red Sea. He could have just had Joshua raise Moses' staff and, and, and part the wall. If he knows what's going to happen, why doesn't he do it now? And that's where we struggle with. Forget Joshua, forget Jericho, forget Old Testament history. I want my prayer answered now, right? At least that's how we feel. And I get frustrated if God doesn't answer my prayer right now. But here's the thing. God's more concerned about my character and my commitment than he is with my comfort or what's convenient to me. When all we see is a wall, God wants us to see him. That's why in 1 Peter, he says it this way in chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God wants us to see him, not the wall. Now think about it. What's our typical response when we hit a wall that we can't deal with? It's typically going to go one way or the other. We're just going to give up and turn around and go the other way, or else we're going to turn to God. And when God gets bigger, our fears get smaller. And here's something you'll probably hear Christians say after they get past their wall. I don't know how I would have gotten through this without... Well, you're probably not going to hear him say, I don't know how I would have gotten through this without alcohol. Or, I don't know how I would have gotten through this without Prozac. I don't know how I would have gotten through this without my cigarettes. No, that, that's not what you hear believers say. Believers say, I don't know how I would have gotten through this without God. Listen to what God tells Joshua next about how to face the wall that he's up against because it may give us some insight in principle about how we can face our walls. In chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, he says, I want you to march around the city with your army once a day for six days. And a little bit later on, then he says, And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. Tell the priests to blow their trumpets while they march. Now, I don't know how big the city was. I just know... If it's bigger than my city block, I'm thinking, uh, I don't, really? Seven times around this? I mean, we all don't go to Sandy's exercise class, right? <laughs> We're just not motivated to this. But that's what he tells him. And then in verse 5, he says, As soon as you hear the trumpet blast, have all the people shout out a loud war cry, and a wall will collapse so your soldiers can go straight into the city. See, here's the principle. When you're facing your wall, that's the time to keep trusting God. And that means following His guidance, even if nothing seems to change. And put yourself in a story at this point. God tells Joshua, okay, I want you to get everybody together. I want you to walk all the way around Jericho. I want you to do it every day for six days. 
and, 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 and so you're going to carry the ark of the Lord with you, you're going to march around the city, and then you're going to go back to camp at night. If you're part of that group, if this is not just pages in a book or screens on your device, if this is real life, you know what's going to happen. You're going to go back to camp after you've done this, and when you come back to camp, you know somebody's going to ask you, well, how did it go? Did, did the city fall? You know, are you okay? Was anybody hurt? How's the battle going? How humiliating to have to tell them, well, well, we didn't, nobody was hurt. Nobody died. I kind of tweaked my hammy a little bit, but, you know, it, that's all. If this is real, not just pages in a book, you're going to look for ways to not be embarrassed to say, well, we went for a walk and came back. And then you gear up and do that the next day. Imagine if you're part of Joshua's SEAL team or Army Ranger crew. You're all geared up, you're ready to go, and all you've done is just go walk around. You know as well as I do, what they're probably thinking is the same thing that we're thinking when God doesn't answer our prayer and when we don't see God do anything right away. God, this is a waste of time. And I know I'm not the only one in this room who's ever had that moment with God where I've told him, you're wasting my time. That's because... We're struggling to keep on trusting God. You see, the time is now when nothing's working and it feels like you're wasting time to keep trusting God. Just because you don't see movement doesn't mean God isn't moving. And that's where faith has to take precedent because not because we trust our faith or trust our trust. We trust in God. And that God will move even when we don't see Him moving. So I know, I, I wonder why God didn't show them some progress along the way. You know, like, you know, day two, they walk around, hey, does that wall look short? What's it, what, are, what are around the bottom of that? Does that look like bricks? You know, day three, I swear that wall looks like it's shorter. Day five, you know, look, there's, there's a crack. Give me a crack, God. Give me something here. At least that's how we feel. But instead, he says, trust me and don't stop believing. While God's preparing us for what he needs, we get frustrated over the lack of progress that we want. Hear this. It's easy to make an idol out of our progress. It, where we start to crave and long for and look to our sense of progress instead of our God. But the time to trust God is when nothing seems to change. The worst thing we can do at that point is to try to take back control of our lives when we get sick and tired of waiting on God to do something. Joshua's wall at Jericho would still be standing if he'd settled for partial obedience and stopped on day four. 
or day six or the round trip of three times on day seven. Don't give up doing life God's way just because it doesn't seem to be working out for you. And yet our response typically at that point would be, but I just don't know how much longer I can do this. You ever said that? To God? To yourself? To your spouse? I just don't know how much longer I can do this. That's why the time is now to keep on trusting God. And my guess is that by now, a lot of you already know how the story goes. For days and days, they just keep walking around the same path. And on the seventh day, they march around the seventh time. And on that seventh day, after the seven times around it, they blew a long blast on their, on their horn. And, and they were supposed to shout at the wall. Probably the easiest command anybody ever was given by God to obey. Because I'm guessing after a week and after all that walking around and eating all that dust, I don't know, nothing says it was sunny all week long. Could have been rainy, we don't know. My guess is the easiest thing that everybody there felt like was yelling at that wall. But he says, do it because God's given you the city. Now the last instructions they were given was this, sacrifice everything in it as an offering to God, but save Rahab and all of her family that's with her. Don't keep anything for yourself or it'll affect the whole camp. The silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron, all of that metal, that belongs to God. And so they did just that. The wall falls down. God's people win an impossible victory that's beyond their scope of imagination. And they do that because they trusted God. But that's not the end of the story of Jericho. And here's where our story of our Jerichos usually picks up. See, Jericho wasn't the only wall standing in the way between them and God's blessing. The bigger wall was a mentality that said, you know what, I'm tired of waiting on God. It's time for me to get mine. An even bigger wall is our impatience. A bigger wall is our frustration that will lead to our ignoring God and being disobedient. The story of how God blesses his people continues on in Joshua chapter 7. God's commandment was clear. Everything was either to be A, destroyed, or B, given to God. And in chapter 7, verse 1 of Joshua, it talks about a, a, a guy named Achan. And he kept some things for himself that should have been destroyed. And I totally get that, and my, my guess is that you do too. God's people have been, have been without for so long. I mean, they were slaves for 400 years. After that, they finally had their freedom. Yes, Egypt had kind of given them stuff to bribe them to get out of Egypt and, and just leave us alone. And so they had more gold and silver. and I mean, stuff they'd only looked at their owners owning the Egyptians, owning for years, now all of a sudden they're carrying. They can't believe it, but they've also wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They've done burial after burial after burial until finally an entire generation of people that didn't trust God was wiped out by age. And now, finally, it's their chance to let God bless them. So they go into town, they wipe out everything, and they see all of the wealth that's there. I mean, after all, it says there was gold, there was silver, there was 
bronze. There, there, there was metal. To, you didn't have to have a really sharp wooden knife anymore. You all of a sudden now had iron you could use. Everything they'd wanted is there. Why would you burn it? It seemed like such a waste of the stuff that I've always wished I had. And Achan decides, you know what? That's too good to waste. I want it now. And that shows up at a place called Ai. The scouting report comes back. This is the next battle. You know, this place called Ai, they're weak. You know, and there's no reason to send in the whole army. Just send in about two or 3,000. That'll be more than enough. They go into battle, and they lose the battle that day. I mean, people died. Israel ran away in defeat. In verse 5 of chapter 7, it says, When the people from Israel saw this, they lost the battle. We don't lose battles. We've got God on our side. They lost the battle that day. And their reaction was, they lost their courage. I get that. Don't you? When you think you've done everything that was supposed to have been done, and it doesn't work out, and you lose, Joshua and the other leaders turned to God in incredible sadness. In verse 7 it says, God, you brought our people across the Jordan River. Why would you bring us this far only to destroy us? Even Joshua is convinced that this whole thing is about to blow up in their face. His reasoning and rationale is this. Our enemies will hear that we can be beaten. We're not invincible. And they're all going to come together and they'll join forces and they'll attack us and they'll wipe us out. And that's when God confronts Joshua about, you've got to keep on trusting me. In verse 10 and following, he says, why are you down there with your face on the ground? Stand up. Israel has sinned against me by ignoring my commands. They kept stuff that should have been sacrificed for God. And God says, they've stolen from me to keep for themselves. You'll never be able to defeat your enemies with partial obedience to me. Now that's my paraphrase of what's written there in Joshua chapter 7. But that's probably still true, isn't it? You see, it's easy for me to settle for partial obedience to God. It's easier for me to kind of follow what God wants me to do in my life and assume that's good enough. The process begins for their healing in verse 14 and following. God's going to point out the one guy who was guilty. So they go through that process. They whittle it down. God finally reveals that the guy's name is Achan. And he confesses to keeping a, a beautiful imported robe from Babylon. He, he kept five pounds of silver. And he kept one pound of gold. And he admits, you know, you'll find it's all hidden under my, under my tent. And when he went to discover it and found it to be there, then it got really tough. Because then God's command was not just take it away from him. Smack him on the back of the head. He'll get the idea. No. God says they need to be destroyed since they refuse to destroy what I asked. They need to be sacrificed since they refuse to sacrifice to me. 
Ooh, that makes me uncomfortable, right? But that's where God is. What do you do when you've tried to do everything right and things still fall apart? That's where they were. And that's why the challenge is there for us to keep trusting God when you're afraid to try again. In chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord says to Joshua, don't be afraid. I am. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. That's just it. We get afraid when we're discouraged, and that's where this is. Take the whole army with you this time. Go up and attack Ai. I have delivered. There's that past tense again. I've delivered these people into your hands. The king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And, oh, by the way, this time you can keep the spoils for yourself. So the decision's made. We're going to trust God. We're going to do it his way. Probably with a lot more attention to details since they'd just seen what happened to Ai, right? Or what happened to Achan. The battle's won. The city's defeated. And this time God allows them to keep the spoils of war. And in verse 30 it says that Joshua leads his people in worship, reminding them that God is a source of blessings and curses. Here's the takeaway. Keep trusting God. In times of waiting, keep trusting God. In times of victory, keep trusting God. In times of failure and discouragement, in times of confessing your sin, keep trusting God in obedience. That's the challenge. Dave, I want you and your worship team make your way up. We'll go from here. This idea of keep on trusting God is a consistent theme all the way throughout Scripture. Jesus would say it this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow looks back and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, we may not know about plows. We certainly don't know about putting our hands on a plow. But what we do understand is once you start, don't look back. That's what Jesus had to say. Last time we spoke, I, I talked about James and how he wrote to people who had been scattered all over the world like spores. You know, that's why they were referred to as the diaspora. Peter writes his letter to encourage Christians who've been scattered by persecution as well. And when you find yourself wondering if God will ever bless you again, you need to remember this theme. Now is the time to keep on trusting God. Here's how that plays out in 2 Peter 2. Let me read it to you. In verse 20, he says, People can be made free from the evil in this world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But catch this. But if they go back into those evil things and are controlled by them, it's worse for them than it was before. It would have been better for them if they'd never known the right way. And then he quotes a proverb that makes most of us shake our head and think, really, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it is. 2 Peter 2.22, what they did, how they started and then turned around and went back, he says, it's like the proverb, a dog will return to its vomit. Yay, let's talk about vomit. <laughs> but his point is, keep trusting God. Because if you don't, then it's just like going back like a dog will do and eating the vomit. Or he, he refers to something that's also common. He says, you can wash a pig, but it's just going to go up and go back and roll in the mud again, right? 
The same type of thing is the parallel he makes to us when we were free from the evil that controlled us and then decide, you know what, I don't think I like being, having my life cleaned up. I'm just going to go back and do what I was doing before. To them, he would say, don't stop believing. And then he goes on into chapter 3 of Second Peter with this. It's most important for you to understand what will happen in these last days. People laugh at you. And they'll keep doing whatever evil they want to do. They'll say, well, Jesus promised to come again, but where is he? Our fathers have died, but the world continues on the way it was since the day it was made. And that's when he would remind them, don't stop believing because you can always count on God. Verse 8 and 9, don't forget that, the Lord, that for the Lord, one day is the same as a thousand years. And a thousand years is the same as one day. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises. Some people think he is. In fact, he's being patient. God doesn't get Alzheimer's. God doesn't forget the promise he's made. That's why we can keep believing in him, trusting in him. He wants everyone to turn from their sin. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. That's why we need to keep trusting him. That's why. He says in verse 17, since you already know this about God, be careful not to let evil people lead you away by their mistakes. Be careful so that you'll not fall from your faith. So here's how we can do just that. Here's how we can trust God, even when we hit a wall in our faith. In verse 18 of 2, Timothy 3, or 2 Peter 3, he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory now and forever. Amen. The bigger God gets, the smaller the walls in front of us are. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.